This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week, a new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, uh, joined by my producer for the day, Taylor Schwenk, who is filling in for Tarika Foster-Brasby. Tarika will join us later in the show, uh, but is tending to some more important matters. I'll just say that at the moment. Uh, we have a great show for you, but a very sad show for you. Um, this is our first podcast since the world was rocked on January 26th when a helicopter crashed in Calabasas, California, carrying nine precious lives. All of those lives, tragically, were lost in that crash, including Laker great Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna Bryant, 13 years old, Peyton Chester, 13, Sarah Chester, 45, Alyssa Altabelli, 14, Carrie Altabelli, John Altabelli, Christina Mauser, and the helicopter's pirate, Ara Zobayan. Very, very sad and tragic day, obviously, uh, with all nine lives that were lost, and in particular, that of Kobe Bryant, someone that the world is grieving heavily because of who he was as a sports star, as an icon, as a dad, as a friend, as a mentor, as so much to so many people. Around the Rim wants to send out their thoughts and prayers to all of these victims' families, everyone that's been impacted by this horrible accident. And starting today, as a women's basketball podcast, we will start to reflect on Kobe Bryant's connections to women's basketball. He had, since retiring, spent a lot of time in our game. From his Mamba Academy, coaching his daughter Gianna's team, to attending WNBA games, college games, to mentoring college and WNBA players. Uh, Kobe had come to mean a lot to a lot of the players in a personal sense, not just as Kobe, the icon, but to their lives as a friend. We will hear from one of those people today, um, Seattle Storm guard Jewel Lloyd, who had a very special relationship with Kobe, is going to join us on the show. I'll be honest, this was a very, very difficult podcast to record I, just like everyone else, is just trying to still make sense of everything. I feel like a cloud is still hanging over us. But what I'm experiencing is nothing compared to what Jewel has had to go through. And so we just want to thank her for taking the time to talk to us about her memories of Kobe and share that with the world. And we'll continue to do this uh, once every podcast for the next few weeks. So if you have thoughts you want to share with us, you can always email us at around the rim podcast at gmail.com with your Kobe memories, but just a very, very sad time. And um, we want to acknowledge this time of grieving and how everyone has been impacted in very different ways, but however you're impacted, sending prayers and thoughts to everyone with that. We also have on the show, the one, the only Debbie Antonelli joining us to talk about all things women's college basketball. 
because she knows all things. So we'll talk about the NCAA selection committee's first reveal. We get a look at who they feel like the top 16 seeds are in the NCAA tournament. We know that actual selection does not happen for a while, but we're thankful to the NCAA for giving us a peek into how they are seeing those top 16 seeds come together, considering the fact that those are the teams that will host. And that's an important, important thing uh, when you think about March Madness and advancing in the NCAA tournament, if you can sleep in your own bed and host and have your own fans there. So a lot to be decided, but we will take a look at that first reveal. And then we also have on the show Vanessa Blair Lewis, who coaches at Bethune-Cookman in the MEAC Conference. If you've been living under a rock, Vanessa has done an outstanding job, and we'll get into a little bit of that with the program in her time, but also want to get her take on what it means to coach at an HBCU. This is Black History Month, so it's definitely a special time to reflect. But then we see a shortage of women of color coaching basketball, and we want to tackle that topic as well with Vanessa. So we're thankful for her time. And with that, that is going to be our show. Before we get started, I want to remind you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you are listening. It really helps us and helps other people to find the show. Also, tell a friend about Around the Rim. They'll probably like women's basketball if you like women's basketball. <laughs> so tell them to check out our podcast. And also, make sure you check out the Woj Pod. This week, he and Zach Lowe talk NBA trade deadline. I don't know if there's a better time to check out the Woj pod than right now, as there are a lot of big moves in the NBA. Woj always has great guests and great conversations. This week is no different. You can get the Woj pod wherever you're listening to this podcast. Now, Kobe, you have been a supporter of the WNBA, but what brings you out on opening day? Well, I mean, continue to support, and, uh, you know, we're a big basketball family, and, you know, our uh, our middle daughter, Gianna, just loves the game so much, so, you know, here we are to uh, to watch them play, especially Jewel, you know, Jewel's like a little sister to me, so uh, it's great to come out and support her as well. Yeah, Jewel described you as her mentor. How did that relationship develop? Uh, I just think through uh, through the Nike family, uh, we were able to connect. And I uh, met her, and she just asked a lot of questions about the game and about process, and the relationship just developed from there. Well, in case you did not recognize that voice, it was the voice of Kobe Bryant. Um, he and I had a conversation courtside back in May 2018. It was opening day for the WNBA, and he had come to the game to support, but in particular he was coming to support Jewel Lloyd. Um, a player that he had a very special relationship with, and we are honored right now um, to have Jewel on the on this podcast with us to talk a little bit more about Kobe's legacy. Uh, welcome to the show, Jewel. Thank you for having me. I know this is an incredibly hard time for you, as it is so many people. And you know, if Tariq and I have said, you know, our heart goes out to all nine people, all nine lives that were lost in that crash, and their families. Um, but we do want to focus a little bit on, on Kobe and Gigi. Just first give us an idea of how you first interacted with Kobe, met him, and then the progression of, of your relationship. Yeah. Um, the first time I met Kobe um, in person, uh, I was actually at the Wooden Awards ceremony, and the Lakers had a game. And where the ceremony was is right across the street from the Sable Center. 
So I um, hit him up, told him I'll be in L.A. And he's like, all right, we'll come through. So it was literally the uh, halftime of the Lakers game. And he um, texted me and said, hey, I'll come through. I'll have my guy come get you and uh, we'll sit down and talk. So in the middle of the game, halftime, uh, my dad and I are walking through Staples Center, um, getting escorted to the locker room to meet Kobe. And uh, he was actually resting because um, he was just coming back from a shoulder injury. And uh, we were sitting there and we just talked for the about 30, 40 minutes, really, just sitting there talking uh, while the game's going on. And if you know Kobe, you know that he was always so focused on, on the game, right? Regardless if he was playing or not, he was focused and watching and studying the game. But he took that 30, 40 minutes to sit down and talk to with me and my father. And that day was, was definitely transforming for me. You know, that was the day where we started our relationship. And uh, I just remember him always saying, you know, whatever you need, I'm here for you. Um, I want to see you do great things. I want to see you achieve everything, and I'm here right in the corner. And then he gave me his number, and then ever since then, we've been um, in pretty good contact, and we were constantly talking um, every every month on uh, just random things, and we just stayed really close. And this would have been 2014? Yeah, 2014. Okay, yeah, okay, trying to put the days together. And, mm-hmm. and I know that one thing, I mean, you're the first player that comes to mind in the WNBA when I think about Kobe. I, I know there are a lot of players that have a relationship with him, but in particular because you became known as the Gold Mamba. How how did that come about? Well, um, obviously Kobe's been a, an icon for me for, for a long time. And when I was working out with him and um, talking about our goals that we had for each other in the future and, and things that we wanted to achieve together and things that I wanted to achieve separately, um, that name kind of just stuck. Um, I, I believe someone actually used it when I was in college once, and um, we were just talking, and he was a big fan of, of my game in college and who I was, and he um, <laughs> allowed me to use that name and gave it to me. And with, with honor, I, I try to uh, live that every single day, every time I step on the court, and um, even more so now um, with everything that's happened, is just try to, continue what we talked about and live and live that out. I know I've definitely used the name Gold Mama because, again, you're the first player I think about in yeah. the WNBA <laughs> when I think about Kobe Bryant. What were you, – you said you guys talked about goals that you had. What were some of the things that you talked about um, wanting to do, you know, from when that relationship was established in 2014 to now? Um, and, and what have you gotten to do that, you know, those memories that you, you'll remember? You know, every year, um, every season, Kobe gave me a goal to, to achieve and accomplish. And he was right there with me for every single one of them. Now, first, you know, coming to the league, rookie of the year, um, how to get that, how to how to achieve that. And then being an all-star, trying to be, you know, all-WBA team, um, did those things. Um, winning a championship, um, he, was, he gave me the tools to, to do that, figure that out. And um, the last... Uh, the last goal he gave me was to try to be Olympian. So um, we walked through a lot of goals on, on, on basketball goals, but it went beyond that. He talked about how to expand the Mama Academy. Um, I started the Gold Mama Academy on my side um, for the girls and teams in Chicago and, and teams in places where they don't have organized basketball. So I've sponsored over uh, five to seven teams across the country. And um, his team um, – his mama team has played my Seattle team a couple of times. We're trying to really expand and grow the game beyond just be able to play basketball, but just in life and, and exposing um, girls to basketball. 
And that's what we talked about so many times and how to bring that together. And he was actually planning to come to Chicago this summer to play two of my teams that I personally built um, to give him, you know, a challenge for his team. So we really uh, stayed in touch and really tried to help each other out with a lot of off-the-court goals as well. Wow. Yes, that's the part I think a lot of people don't realize. You know, one of the things that's kind of surfaced that I know those of us that are close with women's basketball have have always known, but that the world is starting to see is that Kobe was very invested in the women's game, um, mm-hmm. girls level with the with the academy, and then college basketball with you know you and UConn and then WNBA like at all levels. And you know we we've said it's a huge loss for our sport. Where did mm-hmm. you really? start to understand how much Kobe cared about the future of, of women's basketball. I think when I just saw um, how he interacted with Gigi, um, seeing that relationship and seeing how much he cared um, about making sure that she grew up, um, learning the game correctly, learning the game right, having that love and passion for the game, and understanding that the women don't have a lot of resources in a sense the way the NBA guys do um, or colleges do. And just seeing how he had so much passion for that and knowing that Gigi had the same amount of passion, same amount of focus and she, you know, she wanted to be great and he saw that, we saw that all the time and that's how we always talked about it. How can we make it better for her and the, and her peers, right? Like that was the motivation behind everything. It's, you know, she wants to be great. Okay, well, I have to make sure she has her things to be great. Um, a lot of people don't, but how do I also expand that to not just her, but worldwide and seeing that dynamic between the two was, was such a beautiful thing. And it's it's hard to, you know, not see that again, right? Like not be able to call him and see that and talk about it. Um, but knowing that I, I was blessed to see that and it's it definitely has inspired me to have that same interaction with, with kids I, I train, um, my niece and nephew, um, because that's something with that I've never seen before and it's just so such a beautiful dynamic. Well, Jewel, you have had a successful career in your own right. It, it's just incredible to hear what Kobe has been behind the scenes for you, you know, your time at Notre Dame winning the WNBA championship right now you're with USA basketball. So that next goal and and challenge that he had for you is, is already in play, you know, and um, I'm sure he's very, very proud of you. One more thing, uh, Jewel, before we let you go, everyone's been Mm -hmm. kind of just sharing, um, you know, their, their Kobe memories and, I know you've been a Kobe fan for a long time, and I don't know if you want to share just maybe if you remember the moment you became a big Kobe fan or if there was a, a game or a time where you were like, okay, this is someone that I want to, to be like or I look up to. Um, do you remember that moment? Um, yeah. Um, you know, I could easily say, you know, the 81-point the game, right? That, that's something that everyone notices. But um, I remember watching – his very first rookie year, this is like, my brother was older than me, so he was a big Kobe fan as well. So I remember watching old clips and seeing Kobe um, struggle his first rookie year, airballing like three times to win the game, and his fight and his, his determination to keep going back. Um, and then he came back his next year, and he was just, just so explosive. And seeing that was like, I want to be an assassin like him. You know, his, his confidence at that level at that time was unbelievable. Um and then he got an opportunity once um, one of the guys on the Lakers got hurt. He got the opportunity to start, and he took that opportunity, and he made the most of it. And that's something that it's hard to do. You know, a lot of times people are scared of the moment, and Kobe was never scared of that moment. 
and seeing him and knowing being in Chicago and everyone's compared to Michael Jordan, um, you know, it was amazing to see the work ethic and the determination, that fight that he just had. It was something special. And it was almost so hard to, you know, really pinpoint what it really was. But once you saw that fadeaway, um, that's something that I, I saw and mimicked in practice so many times at the court. And that's been my go-to shot even now. Um, seeing him do it in the corner, I was like, yeah, this, this, this is it. This is the guy I'm watching and studying um, forever. <laughs> and that's something that I've always cherished is that moment, that laugh, that swagger, um, that thing's going to live on forever. Well, I'll tell you, there are definitely moments when I watch you on the court with that jump shot and the way you move, and it makes me think of Kobe and you wear the number 24. A lot of people are changing their numbers, but you've been, you've been 24 um, and riding with that. And so um, I know Kobe is proud of you, and we appreciate during this very hard time you sharing those memories. Uh, I, uh, please, if you guys have not checked out the heartfelt letter that Jewel wrote to Kobe on her Instagram, um, please do. But while we're mourning someone that we knew from afar and that had an impact on our lives, nothing like what you're experiencing, Jewel, and we will keep you um, in our thoughts and prayers during this time. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Thanks for sharing. Scouting report. All right, basketball fans. So next up we have um, one of my favorite people, but also a broadcaster that I strive every day to be like. Um, her basketball knowledge is second to none. Her understanding of the games and X and O's and her ability to just thrash through the college schedule is always impressive to me. Uh, not only that, but she's a great mom and has just been a tremendous resource for me and Tarika throughout our time with the Around the Rim podcast. Please welcome the one and only Debbie Antonelli to the show. Welcome, Debbie. Oh, thank you so much, Latina. It's very kind of you, but I think you can aspire higher than me. So thank you for oh, having me on. No. No way. Every time you and Moans are on television, I tell people this is the best duo in our game right now. And I mean that. And probably since you guys recall my games, nothing has changed. You guys are too. <laughs> you're the, you're the best. I love listening Wait, well, to you. Well, thank you. So, so speaking of that, um, you guys have been calling a lot of big games. You've seen a lot of the top teams up close and personal. So we are going to rely heavily on you in this discussion. The first big thing we want to talk about is the reveal. Um, that just took place of the top 16, the NCAA Women's Basketball Committee gave us a peek into what they see as their top 16 seeds for the NCAA tournament. Debbie, just off the top, did you have any issues with what you saw in this reveal? Well, I actually think the reveal is an incredible peek behind the curtain, as you said. It's a wonderful way for us to get excited about who could be hosting, and it's such an important part of the NCAA tournament and who hosts and who gets to play at home. So uh, I didn't really see anything that was a big surprise to me. Uh, I thought there were a couple of teams that played their way out the last week but have a chance to play themselves back in. A team like Florida State uh, is a team that I think has a chance to play themselves back into the top 16. But uh, no surprises for me. Uh, I expected it to be um, about those are the teams that I had. Um, Northwestern's probably one of the bright surprises on our landscape this year, and uh, they've certainly earned their way into the top 16. Yeah, I agree with you, Deb. I mean, Joe McEwen has done a great job with Northwestern. I mean, I had a lot of question marks, but they have blown through all the top talent in the Big Ten and really proven themselves. And also, I, I got to give some love to Lisa Bluter because after the loss of Megan Gustafson, I, I feel like she's regrouped. 
um, very well to get them in that top 16. And last but not least, Adia Barnes, someone who we hope to one day have on the show out of the Pac-12 is resurrecting Arizona. Now, Deb, uh, one team, and I, and I know you have um, Louisville, Florida State. You're, you're on the road right now. Have them on Thursday. Louisville is a team that you have had on your number one spot in your poll, and I don't know if they still are there, but I know you did throughout the course of this season. Tell me um, why you think the Cards are the number one team in the country. I do have them at number one. I've had them at number one for several weeks. Um, they would have to lose to fall off the one line for me. Uh, I, I think Louisville has one of the better underrated backcourts in the country. I have 100% confidence in players like Jasmine Jones and Dana Evans being able to make late-game plays. The wonderful thing about this year, which is so exciting for us and for the fans, is that they're, you're splitting hairs over the top teams. Uh, style will come into play. Matchups certainly come into play. Last week, the RPI, the number one RPI changed three times. It depends on who you play, when you play them. But I, I have had Louisville at the top. Kylie Shook continues to evolve. I think Bianca Dunham has another level that she can play and be a more effective scorer. I think the Georgia Tech transfers, Elizabeth Balagoon and Elizabeth Dixon have played okay not great to this point and i think they have some more that they can give i've seen all the top teams in person i believe uh i will have uconn on monday so i'll get to see them in person uh but i'm very excited about being able to have a conversation over actually who the number one is there are uh four different teams that have been number one and if you count my vote i have five that have been number one it has been a rat race, Deb, and it does make it so fun with all the changes at the top and even the upsets of the number one seed have been fun. Now, you mentioned UConn, um, a conversation we, we've been having a lot lately. Let's kick this one off with some sound from Coach Landers the other night in studio. Tarika? Now, last year was the interruption. Mm-hmm. I, I think we, we might be look, starting a different streak okay. for UConn with two seeds. Yeah, I, I think it is fine. I think it's appropriate. I do not think UConn's one of the four best teams in the country based on what we have seen so far this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to hit a two line or maybe even a three line. Who knows? But this isn't, you know, we, we're making a case trying to figure out. No, we're not really. But trying to figure out how UConn can get to a one seed. They're not a one seed. Right. So we heard a little bit from Charlie Cream there, Maria Taylor's in the studio, Carolyn Peck, that was the voice of Andy Landers. Um, really convincing that UConn's not a number one seed, but they are going to play the South Carolina Gamecocks on Monday. Debbie, you have that game. Is there a chance that if UConn beats South Carolina, they move to the one line? And is that all you really need to see from the Huskies at this point? You know, honestly, while that discussion was taking place, I did agree with many points that Coach Landers pointed out. Um, I I don't think it's a storyline in our game. Uh, I don't think Connecticut being a one or a two is a big storyline. I think what's more impressive to me are the teams that are there, that are on the one line, and how they've gone about conducting their business to earn it. Now, unfortunately for UConn, it seems like the last couple of years their conference has caught up to them. Now, that will change next year when they go to the Big East. But this is the last game left on their resume um, for on Monday night against South Carolina for them to to actually make an argument that they could move up and coach Landers is right there's a chance they could slip to a three now I don't think that's a big storyline in our game they haven't won the national championship the last three we all know that you that you know you have to be able to 
play with and beat a style that Connecticut presents. And I'm not just talking about running the Princeton and the way they defend. I'm talking about execution and discipline for 40 minutes. We've not had a lot of teams in our game that could do those two things for 40 minutes. Now I think we do. And the teams that play the hardest are the teams that are going to win. And when Sabrina Ionescu post-game said, I think we should be the barometer, I think she was sending out a message saying, hey, look, there's a lot of really good teams in the game. And people have great brand recognition for UConn. I will never be one of those people that believes UConn is ever bad for the game. As long as Gino's over on the sideline, you know exactly what you're going to get from his program so, and his teams and his players. So um, I agree with what Coach Landers was saying on many points that he made. And uh, I think that our game is really healthy. It's in great shape. And for all the wonderful things that UConn has done, they haven't won the last three. There's been three different teams, and I think it's exciting for our game. It should be exciting for every aspect of the business of our game. It's very, very exciting, and I cannot wait for that big tilt at South Carolina on Monday. Dawn's done a great job of growing her fan base there, and I know that they are ready to take on the Huskies. Now, Debbie, you also just recently um, were on the call for Louisville versus USA Basketball. USA Basketball is on their college tour, getting ready for the Olympics. Just your thoughts quickly before we let you go on uh, our USA team and what you saw there and um, kind of what we can expect from this squad, even though we're not exactly sure he's going to be on the roster quite yet. Well, the first thought is good luck selection committee. I don't know how you pick 12. I really don't. <laughs> there are so much, uh, so many talented players. Uh, it is going to come down to chemistry and who gives the U.S. the best chance to win. That could come in a lot of different values depends on what value they place the most on, right? It's not just offense and defense. There's so many things that factor in. Um, I think our B team and our C team could win bronze and silver. I think that's how deep we are. I don't see any country hanging with us in the fourth quarter. That's when usually we uh, have the ability to use our depth and our strengths to put teams away. Uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting time. Uh, again, the business uh, and the metrics of women's basketball are all moving in the right direction. That's exciting. And we have uh, the stakeholders in terms of the representation we have from USA Basketball can't be any better. When you have spokespeople like Diana and Sue, it just doesn't get better than that. I don't want to be on that selection committee and I don't even want to, I, I'm going to have to shut my Twitter down on the day that those names are released because I know the fans <laughs> are going to be all over it, but um, tip your hat to the leadership that has to make those decisions. And, you know, it's just so interesting seeing the new talent coming in with the Sue birds and the Diana Tarazis and, and what this roster and what this summer could really mean for a changing of the guards for our game, um, which is both scary, but also exciting. Um, so definitely looking forward to that. Deb, we love having you on. Please come back and see us soon. We are all for you guys sparking up shoot around again. Okay. Um, we, we would love that. <laughs> I'm telling you, me and Tarika would love that. We are, we're, we're, we're advocates and we only have this podcast because of what you and Beth Moens did. And we're all for it coming back. I am so still know. trying to get a show where we have both Beth and Debbie on at the same time. Well, that's what well, she was. Happen. We can do that. <laughs> we, know. as long as you're prepared to know that we're going to argue and fight and then we're going to hug it out at the end. <laughs> and there's going to be a cocktail napkin, which means there might be cocktails. That's another yes. thing. 
That's for sure. Well, Debbie, we'll, we'll revert back to some of our old strategies, LaChina. I appreciate your, your kind <laughs> comments, and thank you for the work that you and Tariqa continue to do to promote our game. Well, thank you, Deb, thank and you. be safe on the road. We can't wait to hear you on the call, as always. Thank you. Peace out. Coach's Corner. All right, Around the Rim fans, welcome back to the show. And today we want to do something a little special because, number one, it's National Girls and Women in Sport Day. So that's important to highlight. And number two, it's Black History Month, right? So we definitely want to make sure that we highlight the best of the best, especially in the month of February. And so joining us for our Coach's Corner, we have uh, Bethune-Cookman University Wildcats Head coach Vanessa Blair joining us today. And we haven't spoken to her in a while, so we are happy to have her back on the show. Welcome, Coach Blair. Thank you so much for having me back. This is awesome. Yeah, all of these things going on today, this month, it's exciting. I know, right? Um, (laughs) Yes. Perfect timing. Yes. Well, Coach, I know that this has been uh, an interesting year for programs all over, but you have uh, been the top of the top and the best of the best in the MEAC over the last few years. And just kind of wanted to get your thought on how you've been able to maintain the level of success that you've had with BCU. Well, I just want to say that our conference, you know, unless you play us maybe in non-conference games, you'll see that every single night is a dogfight. And I know a lot of conferences will say that. I mean, you see it in the SEC and the ACC, and you expect it in those conferences. But in the MEAC, literally, there are some amazing coaches, and we battle every single night. So it's not easy. It's not easy to have gotten to the top and then to be able to stay here. But I think what makes it so great for us is the kids that we're able to recruit. These young women are phenomenal. And my coaching staff has been able to stay together primarily um, to keep that, you know, base together and girls get comfortable with coaches and having them around. We've been able to stay together for the last few years. And this past season was great because, you know, it's all the hype about women, women, women power. And this past season for us to get to the tournament for the NCAA for the first time with a whole staff of women was just a phenomenal feat. So, Vanessa, we have to back up just a little because I still run into people today that don't know what a HBCU is and really don't understand the history. So HBCU stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. And Bethune-Cookman was named for Mary McLeod Bethune who was an American educator, stateswoman, philanthropist, humanitarian, civil rights activist, and best known for starting, aha, a private school for African-American students in Daytona Beach, Florida. So, Vanessa, I'm just curious for you what it's like as a woman of color, one that played sport and understands how important Mary McLeod Bethune was to American history. What does it mean to you to coach there? Well, Latina, as you know, like I haven't spent my entire career in black college. I was 11 years at Mount St. Mary's University, a PWI, and then I got this amazing opportunity to come and interview for a job at Bethune-Cookman. I'm from Maryland, and so Bethune-Cookman is in Daytona Beach, Florida, so it really wasn't hard to convince me to get out of the snow, but I really didn't have <laughs> a lot of background on black college because I hadn't, I hadn't, my career wasn't in that. But it was, and it has been, 
the most amazing journey of my career. And I say that because we like to tell our student-athletes that we recruit, you really are going to get two degrees when you leave here. You're going to get a degree in whatever you decide to major in, but you're also going to get a degree in your history. And how powerful is that to empower our young people with the information of who you are, why you are, and where you came from? And sometimes they always say, well, you know where you've been, you know where you're going, and that history is important. You know, we talk about women and women in sports day. This university was founded by a woman back in the day when it wasn't popular, one, to be a woman in any type of power position, but two, to be a black woman. And for mm. her to accomplish building a university because her whole thing was that every Negro child will have an opportunity be ed- to be educated. How powerful is that? Like, that was her goal. And to this day, we stand on that mission that we have first-generation students in the year, you know, 2020 that are just first-generation that's ever gone to college. And so this is big for a whole uh, – it's, it's big for our community to be able to – have our young people educated. And, and we come from places, our students come from places where they may not otherwise get in or fit in at other universities, and they're well, wanted and accepted here. But make no mistake about it, China. we're in the year of 2020, and our university is very diverse. We have a student on our campus from every continent in America. So the world is that. You, you need to be able to connect and work with other people from all different kinds and walks of life. And we're able to experience that as well at the film Cookman. And don't get me started about how excited we are that this year she will be erected in statutory hall at the universe, at the U.S. Congress. And wow. she has a room. If you've never been to the African American Museum in Washington, D.C., we just took our girls there. We try to take them every time we go up there to see the African American Museum because we are a part of American history not only does she have a wall, she has an entire room. So imagine our girls wow. walking in wearing this uniform that has the film Cookman on it and now getting a chance to, in real life, hear her voice speaking back in the day. They make that connection, and it's so powerful because then they understand her not as a figure in just African-American history, but as a figure in history. Wow. That is amazing and so powerful. And I mean, I haven't been through all the rooms because it was just overwhelming when I was there. But now I'm going to make sure I make it to Mary's room (laughs) to to learn more about her and her impact on our history. So, Coach, let's now dive into the family ties around the game of basketball for you. Your cousin is none other than the Christy Winter-Scott, who is one of our favorite guests on Around the Rim and just an amazing person, mom, coach, role model for me. We love Christy. Uh, but then also your dad, you have a, a girl dad that you shared your love for basketball with. He coached you in high school. And last but not least, your husband, Eric, is an NBA official. So you got ties to the game all across the board in your family. Um, what is that like? Well, oh, man, yes. Well, first, shout out to Christy. Love, Christy. Um yeah, so we, we, when she was at Maryland, I was at Mount St. Mary's. She was a little older, so we didn't get a chance to play with each other, against each other that much. But just those family genes, you can see how far they run deep. You kind of look at Christy and you're like, oh, I get it. Y'all almost look alike. But she's yes. doing her thing in the broadcasting <laughs> world. Um, but, yeah, my dad coached at Largo High School in Largo, Maryland for, 30, for 20 years. 
Um, and this past year, we both got inducted into the Hall of Fame together, and it was such a monumental just event to not only be recognized, but to be recognized and going with your dad as the first class to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And my dad was so powerful for not just me as a player under him, but for girls who looked like us that didn't have father figures at home, he became that for my teammates. And as a young person, I didn't understand it then, but when we all came back for the Hall of Fame, those players were able to get up and say, thank you, because of you, I got to go to college, and I got to have a man in my life that wasn't, or if I didn't have my father around, that was instrumental in me believing in myself and having some self-worth. So it was great to play with him, uh, play under him, and then to come back and I coached with him before I got into college coaching. Um, So I learned a lot. I learned a lot about family, and that's how I run my program here. It's about family because that's what he did when we were playing. Um, And then I have this crazy referee that I have to go home to at night. Um, (laughs) And uh, he graduated from Bethune-Cookman, so that's how we met when I got the job down here. We met. uh, He just was coming back to visit some of his old college buddies and coaches, and so we met and. We kind of formed just a friendship at first, and I would run things by him and plays by him, and he would kind of give me another angle, a way to look at him. But now when I come home and I'm like, babe, that was a terrible game. Did you see those calls? You know, I, w- I must say, referees stick together because at, there are nights where I'm like, okay, well, you can just go stay in the other room um, because that was definitely a travel. He's like, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> um, but it's great to have him as a, frame of, <laughs> as a frame of reference when I come home or he comes to the games and, you know, he's he's just a professional at everything that he does, and he runs camps in the summertime, and I'm able to take my staff over there to just listen in that how much these referees pour into their craft as well because I think sometimes as coaches and fans, we're like, oh, they just show up. No, they put a lot of work into what they do. Yes, they absolutely do, and they deserve that respect. It's just great to see how many influences you have had in your family, whether your dad or, you know, your husband, or you can continue to grow that. And I saw um, there's a great article by Sue Favor. Um, she does the coach's chair. So I, I saw and read that um, your kids are going to be carrying on that basketball legacy, and you and your husband plan on just watching them for a while, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, they are my six-year-old's playing now, and we just – I had to use them as an example for my pregame speech for this weekend that – you know, expectations are so important. Last year he started playing and he wouldn't shoot the ball. And I was like, Blair, I'm not coming back to a game and you're not going to shoot the ball. He's like, I just don't feel comfortable, Mommy. This year he won't pass the ball. And so I'm oh. so embarrassed up there as a parent. And I'm like, Blair, you have to share the ball. He's like, no, I'm not. Like you told me. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, you know what, we oh have to kind of be goodness. clear in the message that we send. So that was my conversation with our players today, like, there are expectations for you and, you know, living up to them. And my son heard that loud and clear. He really heard too much because I'm like, no, I didn't really mean that. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> like, wait a minute now. <laughs> right. That right. is so funny. But that's how kids are, right? Like they said, well, yeah. you told me to shoot it. So that's, that's what I'm doing. Well. Like, what do you mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can't pull that back now. So, you know, Vanessa, one thing that we talk about often is, what opportunities are there for young women after they're done with their 
time as college athletes. And I know for me, it was like, okay, do I want to coach broadcasting? There's lots of options out there, but we're not seeing the number of women of color that are playing the game, translating into coaching. Just would love to get your thoughts on maybe how we can change that or what you've seen and and how we can create more space for um, young women of color to to be head coaches, even at the highest level of our game. Well, you know, that's a really, that's an in-depth question. Um, And I say that because when I was playing just like you, I thought the next and the only step for me was to, was I going to coach after this? because that's what I saw. Um, And now if I was a player right now, my eyes would be so wide open for women like you and Christy that are on the broadcasting end. Um, And not just to do the sport that they play. Like we have women that do football and all kinds of other sports, and I'm so amazed at them because a sport I haven't played, I'm not so sure I would be good at talking about it. But that just shows the research that has gone into it. Um, referee, we just talked about my husband, like, I never knew that that was even a field. And it sounds ridiculous to say that because every time I've played the game since I was seven, there was a referee there. But you know what? In my mind, it just came with the game. I didn't know how they got there. I didn't see many women referees when I was playing. Um, but now it's such a lucrative profession, but it's also a profession where you can stay around the game and not have to coach. But there's senior women's administrators that look like us, that can help form and mold the, the woman when she's off the court, like w- getting down to who they are as women that just play sports. But outside of the sports, who are you as a woman? And so I- I'm just amazed at the avenues that are available for young women and minority women, but females in general. Um, but to answer your question, Last year, um, our my my agency, Brian Stanchek, BDS agency, did a study, and since 2014, over these last six years, 67% of hires were females. So, yeah, a little bit over half. We're doing a little better hiring females just in general. 32 of that 67% were minorities, males or females, right, or of any other descent. And then... To break it down even more, of the last six years, 23% of hires were minority females. So, yeah, we trail a little bit behind where we want to be, obviously. Um, How do you open up that? How do we get close that gap? You know, in football they have that Rooney rule, and I'm not suggesting that at all. But I will say this because it's something that happened to me. I was I had a position that was open, and in my mind, I already had a candidate of who I thought I wanted. And at that time, like you talked about my dad, I had always had male coaches around me. And I had some females here or there, but it was nothing for me to think when I lost this one employee to go to another school. I was like, oh, okay, well, I would like to have a guy in this position. I thought just having a balance of male and females on staff would be really good. But during that uh, pool of people that I was selecting, I had a male, I had a a minority female, a minority male, and 
this one girl that I played with, she's like, hey, Vanessa, just interview this one young lady. I know that she's really great. I got her resume, didn't know if she was black or white or whatever, got a chance to speak with her. We talked on Skype before we did another interview, and she was a Caucasian woman, and I'm at an HBCU. And I'm like, okay, I I loved our first initial conversation. So she was now then in my pool of three. And like I said, minority man, minority woman, and now for HBCU, she was a minority woman as a Caucasian. And I interviewed all of them, brought them all up on campus, and you know what, LaChina, I was blown away by Chandler McCabe. She has now since been recognized as top of coaches under 30, and she here, and I hired her. And I hired her because my mind was open enough to say, wow, I, because at first I was closed-minded. I just said, okay, this is what I've had, and this is what I'll just continue to have. But when this candidate came to me, it was like, oh, I've never thought about that. And I'm so glad that she did because it just opened my eyes, and, and she was the best of the candidates that I interviewed at that time. And here I'm thinking, not even thinking about her. So I think as ADs and as people that are in a position to hire, if you just open up your pool to be more diverse, not saying that you have to hire us just to fill a number, but give us an opportunity to sit at that table and prepare yourself, I would say, to be wild because that's what I was. And even if you don't hire us, now look what has happened. You've engaged in the conversation that maybe you – Maybe if you don't hire that minority female, you can refer her to someone else. Mm. Do you feel like you have gotten opportunities at different levels considering the success you've had in the MEAC? No. I'll be candid with that. No, I I have not. Um, And that has been a question a lot of people have asked of me, like Vanessa, well, why aren't you? Um, I don't know, before it used to be this connotation, well, oh, you're an HBCU, and so you're kind of be stuck there. But I've spent half of my career in PWI, so it's not that I'm just one-dimensional. Um, but I think if we could get someone like me to that interview, to that table, then maybe you would get an opportunity to see something different that you didn't think of. And I don't think it's always the, oh, I just don't want that. I think that people haven't in their mind what they're used to seeing. And to just be open enough to have a diverse candidacy, candidate uh, pool, pool, that maybe you would see something different. Hmm. Yeah, that's a big, uh, big question, Mark, I think, for me as it pertains to women of color and coaching is, are we seeing them getting the interview opportunities, you know, regardless of level, regardless of if it's an HBCU or, um, you know, a a mid-major school, you know, are they getting those opportunities? And um, I appreciate those statistics and it's good to see that things are trending in the right direction, but I think it's definitely a conversation we have to continue to have because the young women that play the game, need doors open for them. And someone like you, Vanessa, who has given your life, who has um, displayed excellence in your current position 
and is more than qualified for, for opportunities. I mean, let's be honest. We're all here in the world to try to do more, be more. There are some people that want to stay where they are for different reasons. And that's why I asked, but, um, there should be a pot of names, um, and, and yours should definitely be included. So hoping the right people hear your message, because I think bringing diversity to the table, having those conversations, being open-minded, are all ways that we can hopefully create change. And that's ultimately what we want to do. Well, thank you so much. There couldn't be a more perfect way to wrap our conversation. And we thank you for your time and for your amazing superwoman-ness as mom (laughs) and coach and, and wife and all the different hats you wear. You're welcome back anytime to come on our show. We love having you. Uh Thank you. Thank you, ladies, and happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes, you too, and good luck because um, we know that there's a, a tie at the top right now in the MEAC, yeah. <laughs> but you're on a seven-game winning streak, so uh, keep it up. I mean, what, what does it look like down the stretch here in February? Is your schedule favorable? Oh, man, I think that what we say, and like I started out every night as a dogfight in this conference, but I tell my girls just one day at a time. One game at a time, like the only game that's important right now is the next one. And that's kind of a metaphor for life, like just one day at a time, like be as excellent as you can just for the next day. So that's how we approach it, LaChina. (laughs) I love it, Vanessa. Well, good luck. We're excited for your team. We'll be watching you. We'll bring you back. You win the championship. You're coming back on the show. All right. Well, thank you, ladies. I appreciate it again. That is the end of our show. We hope that you enjoyed it. We will be back with another podcast next week. There's so much happening in women's college basketball and WNBA. We still got to get back into the CBA. I mean, USA basketball. I mean, we're living the life over here talking about women's hoops. Join us again next week. To Taylor, thank you for filling in. And, um, yeah, we hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.